May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, first let me say how good it is to be back uh, with you all. For those of you who I haven't met or who uh, didn't know, I was in the Holy Land for two weeks at the beginning of this month. We shared some of the stories on our blog, which I've heard some of you have followed along, which is great. And I've told some of them personally to you. And I'll actually be giving a presentation in the dean's class uh, during Advent. Uh, I promise it won't be like Uncle Joe's vacation slideshow to Orange Beach or you know, endless selfies by Jesus' tomb or the Garden of Gethsemane. That's kind of gross to consider. Um, so that's coming up. What I think from this trip, um, the main difference about what I've done this time, because it was my second trip to the Holy Land, was I didn't go with a group like I did the first time. Um, I went on my own and was my own guide for the most part. And when you do that, you don't really know what you're going to find. Friday, our first Friday there, uh, we set out on foot and traced the steps of Jesus up to the Mount of Olives, and we could see Jericho down on our left, and we made our way through the Kidron Valley and passed by Absalom's tomb, the place where Jesus wept over Jerusalem, that place where the triumphal entry took place from our Palm Sunday. We did all these things. Embarrassingly, embarrassingly though, uh, I did not remember what Friday meant in terms of present-day Israel. And it didn't take long to figure out as we headed down uh, into the walls of the old city of Jerusalem. Every day, the minarets, the long towers, uh, call the Muslim community into prayer all over the city. They fire up five times a day, and chant fills the air because they know that prayers are meant to be sung. But on Friday, it seemed like they never stopped. And before long, a voice uh, that sounded like an Arabic interpretation of a Southern Baptist preacher uh, started up on, on the sermon is what it was, and it continued. And I then figured out that it was indeed the Muslim day of prayer. Now, that meant that once we got inside the old city, the Muslim quarter of the city was shuttered tight. Uh, no, we could not visit the Dome of the Rock, Muslim only. No lunch, the place serving the world's best hummus, and that is a worthy superlative here, was closed. And we walked through this crowded open-air market, the folks in the stalls were shouting back and forth to one another, repeating the prayers that were coming across the minarets, uh, repeating the blessings to the prophets, uh, repeating the blessings of Allah. And I stood and listened outside the language and outside the tradition. Uh, fireworks ended our day, hearing explosions off in the distance uh, sort of brings out the latent fear in the experience, but these were celebratory, and they happen on Fridays, because Friday at sundown, the approaching queen, the queen of the Sabbath, Shabbat, is welcomed. 
into the city. Now, not only were there no Muslim restaurants, neither were there Jewish, therefore there were almost none at all, and no grocery stores, no trains, the cars disappeared, and the place ground to a halt. We sat, eating some cold cream cheese sandwiches from the hotel, and listened to the people starting to sing inside. Whole streets were blocked off. The cars had been replaced by hordes of little Orthodox children who ran and scootered and kickballed all around their new asphalt playground. Folks hurried off to synagogues uh, in these shiny robes, some of them, and these big hairy hats that honestly put our fanciest chasuble right to shame. We, we visited the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, that day and looked on and listened from beyond the border to the singing, to the singing and the crying. I watched it all from the outside. And whenever you come into an experience like that, I think there are layers uh, to delve through inwardly for me of what I'm experiencing. I, the shameful and hopefully quickly shed layer of my capitalistic annoyance at my own personal inconvenience, um, the layer of wide-eyed awe at the exotic, um, down past my American layer of concern about the division between church and state. Past all that, I felt something like hunger. Um, but the ache was for more than just a warm meal. It brings me to today's gospel. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on Shabbat. I don't know what sort of fancy robe or hat he had. The scripture doesn't elaborate. He is thoroughly Jewish, however, in this observance. And scripture says that a woman appears there, a funny word, like, like she somehow materialized out of thin air, maybe. Or maybe like how you only notice the misplaced tile on the floor when someone points it out. Her appearing like the noticing of someone who has always been in their midst, for she has been crippled among them for 18 years. She has no fancy robe or hat. She's clothed instead with infirmity, uncleanliness, exhibiting all the traits of someone who has been kept in arm's distance from society's beneficence. Jesus reaches out to touch her. She does not ask for him to touch her. She did not come asking for healing. We do not know if she even believed in such a thing, or if she had ever heard of Jesus. Apparently, these things do not matter. Jesus reaches out and touches her. And maybe you can feel a little bit now that Jesus shatters something in society when he does this. It's not an accidental, uh, whoops, I turned on a light switch during Shabbat. He is assaulting the law. And there's a great crash. He has seen the outsider, 
broken through this wall of social taboo and his own upbringing and the world he loves and cherishes, and he has touched a woman unclean in the small of her back and straightened out her spine and done work on the day that God commanded him to rest. It's all too scandalous. There are three figures I'd like you to consider. The legalist follows the rules at the expense of all else. Law is an end unto itself. That heritage becomes an unbreachable law, meant for those on the inside to stay pure and secure. A modern American leaves both the law and the breaking of it. A life unshaped by discipline cannot reach to the demanding heights of mercy, inclusion, peacemaking. And then there's Jesus. He says that the law is there to help us serve one another. The law is not there for the law's own sake, but for ours, for the sake of humanity. It is a drawing of barriers around our own passions in order that others might live. When you walk around in the Holy Land, you don't know what you'll find. But the, uh, the gospel becomes alive. It becomes profoundly simple. You understand why Jesus blessed the peacemakers. In your anger over the violence, the walls, the horror of histories of oppression, you are reminded that when Jesus blessed the peacemakers, he thereby called you to be one, much to your discomfort and mine. That when Jesus reached out to bestow wholeness, you know that that action and greater awaits you. Jesus reached out, and at the same time, he did this by reaching back, um, back into his tradition, back to these words of Isaiah that, are in front of you today. The words that shaped him, how he became the person that he was, and that are there to shape you too. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom be like the noonday. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen.